So we're in week number four of our message series. And today, as we've all said from up here, it's Pentecost Sunday. It's the, the day seven weeks um, after Easter from Passover to Pentecost, 50 days. That's Remember when we talked about the word Pentecost means 50 days. So it's seven weeks after Easter that we celebrate the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. So today is a wonderful day of celebration for the church and people all over the world are celebrating today that awesome gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking through this message um, series on the Holy Spirit and the reason why we're doing it and why we've inserted it into our preaching um, calendar is because there's a problem that existed in the Bible that still exists today and we We'll read about that right now in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. And it says there, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And watch this. They answered the same way a lot of people answer today. They said, No, we not... We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. This was after Pentecost. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. For the last several weeks, I have probably shared at nauseum that people understand God. They understand God the Father because they have a Father. They understand God the Son, Jesus, because They've seen, you know, people's portrayal of them, pictures of him, movies about him. They understand somewhat his life and work because he became one of us. He took on human flesh. But they don't understand God, the Holy Spirit. To them, he's an energy, a force, an it. But we've learned that he truly is the third person of the Trinity. He's just as much God as the Father and the Son. He's a person. And he desires a personal relationship with each of us. I put in my notes that there is one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of those persons is fully and equally God. Each member of the Trinity fulfills their specific role. To put, role, to put in simple terms, the Father creates a plan. Jesus Christ implements the plan, and the Holy Spirit gives the power to carry out the plan. And it's the role and function of the Holy Spirit that we are focusing on this morning, especially in baptism. The last several Sundays have also tried to dispel some of the myths that are out there that surround the Holy Spirit. In some denominations, it's taught like stay away from the Holy Spirit or stay away from those who emphasize or talk about the Holy Spirit. Those people are crazy. They're cooks, you know. Um, just stay away from that. But I don't think it's the fear, I think, is more about the packaging that has been placed around the Holy Spirit rather than the Holy Spirit himself. And what the Bible actually teaches. Because how many of you want a breath of fresh air? How many of you want the paraclete, which means to come alongside someone, to come alongside you, to lead and to guide you? How many want supernatural power to make a difference in your world? And that's the role and the function of the Holy Spirit. He's not someone to stay away from, to run away from. He's someone to run to to invite in, to be immersed in. We've talked about spirit and what that means, wind, breath of air, Pentecost, 50. Last week we talked about the, the word charismatic, which comes from charisma, means grace or gifts of God's grace, that God has given us all spiritual gifts. And today we're going to unpack another term that I want you to write down in your notes, and that's the term baptism. Because the word baptism is associated with the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So write in your notes, baptism. The Bible speaks of a baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. 
The following expressions in Scripture are also used interchangeably to describe the same experience of spirit baptism. So when you're reading through Scripture and you are in the New Testament after the life of Jesus and you're in Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians and such, you will see terms like the Spirit falling upon or being filled with the Spirit or full of the Holy Spirit. These are all terms that are used interchangeably to, to, um, for the same expression, for the same purpose. So the word baptism simply means to be immersed in. So write that down, baptism, to be immersed in. Webster's Dictionary, you know, when you want a little bit more understanding, you go to Webster. And you say, what do you say about this, Webster? And Webster says that to be immersed is to plunge into something, to be completely surrounded or covered with. And there are three baptisms in Scripture that Scripture talks about for our spiritual journey. And I want you to write each of these down as well as I mention them. And the first one is being baptized into Jesus, his body, which is the church. So the first one is to be baptized into Jesus and his body, the church. And right next to that, the word salvation. Salvation is our first baptism. It's to be fully immersed. It's to plunge in. It's to take that leap of faith and, and to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to, make, to give him full and complete control of our lives. It means to be immersed in, to be, to be covered with, to be surrounded. And we immerse ourselves. When we immerse ourselves in Jesus, we can't ignore his church because Jesus said that his body is the church and Jesus is the head of the church. So this was never meant to be, uh, salvation was never meant to be a casual thing. Something that you just, you know, kind of flick a switch when you want and turn it off when you don't want. Going to church was never meant to be a casual thing, a once or twice a month thing. Something that you do when your schedule allows. Salvation was always intended to be a full immersion into Jesus and his body. Amen? And let me show you this here in the Bible. So the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. says, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we all, all have been baptized or immersed into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. It doesn't matter your intellectual background. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. We all, it says whether you're Jew or you're Gentile or slave or free, we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share that same spirit. Christ is the head of this body and his body is the church. And within the body, there is diversity. Unity and diversity exist together in harmony. And that's the goal of the body of Christ, the local church. Amen? So to be immersed into a relationship with Jesus means that you've clothed yourself. You've taken off your old nature. And you put on a new nature. You've taken off your old clothes and you put on your new clothes. Have you ever tried to wear the same pair of socks for several days in a row? Thanks for being honest, Brian. You don't even have socks on. You know by day three, the heels of your socks are all bunched up and protruding over the heels of your shoes. And if you wear them another day, they start smelling like monster cheese because of your sweaty feet. Or have you ever wanted to wear something like your favorite hoodie, but you found out that you had already worn it? and it hadn't been washed yet, and it's at the bottom of the hamper, and it's all wrinkled and crunched up. But you take it out anyway, and you, and you do what we all do, the sniff test. And if it smells okay enough, you wear it again. Or if you do like my, my sons, um, not so much now, but when they were younger, they would give themselves an ax shower. 
you know, or just cover it up, you know, the stink up with cologne. And you think, I can get another day out of this one. The smell's not that bad. You dampen it with water, throw it into the dryer and freshen it up a little bit. The ladies are grossed out right now, but the guys know exactly what I'm talking about. But how different is it to put on something brand new or something that's been washed, that's clean? Several years ago, there was a man who won a, a lot of money on a game show, and the person said, what are you going to do with all of your, your earnings? And he said, I'm going to go out and buy a bunch of socks so I have a brand new pair of socks to wear every day. And I was thinking about that. Man, I remember my mom would um, wash my clothes, and, and they would come out of the dryer hot, and Lisa does that now for me. And, um, but just to put, you know that feeling of putting your, your feet into a warm pair, pair of clean cotton socks? There's nothing like it. And that's what salvation is like. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 3.27, For you all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You've taken off the old. You've gotten rid of the stinky and the dirty. And you put on something clean, something new. He used a similar analogy to help explain the Christian life and salvation. In Ephesians 4.22-25, it says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. How many know that we need to continue to let the Spirit renew our thoughts and attitudes so that they line up with what the Bible says? Paul says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, so that you can live truly righteous and holy. In other words, when you became a Christian, with the Holy Spirit's help, you stopped wearing dirty clothes and you put on some new, new clothes. Salvation is an all-in kind of relationship with Jesus. Let me show you this in scriptures where the disciples, the first followers of Jesus, had their salvation experience. After Jesus went to the cross and paid for their sins, they received their own self salvation. And this happened during the 40-day period between um, Christ dying on the cross um, and being resurrected from the dead to his ascension. So the time between the resurrection and ascension during that 40-day period is when the um, disciples received their salvation. During that 40-day period, uh, you, you've heard me mention that Jesus was kind of just like walking through walls and just showing up in places, appearing to his disciples, leaving them final instructions. And there's this one time when Jesus first appeared to his disciples that John writes about in his gospel. And I love John's detail of this story because it says that they were all together in a house, gathered together, and they had like the deadbolt of the, the lock, you know, the deadbolt locked, and they were fearful and they were behind locked doors and John says it was for fear of the Jewish leaders and then all of a sudden Jesus appears in the middle of the room and look at this and John says that Jesus said peace be with you he just walks through the outside wall of their home and appears in the middle of their locked house and says peace be with you and I was thinking if Jesus was to do that, you know, like I was sitting in my living room with the lights off and maybe just the lamp on, and he just suddenly appeared in my room, he would have to say, peace be with you, because I would be scared half to death and probably peeing myself at that moment. John goes on later um, in the story, and he says that Thomas, Thomas was like, I don't know if that's really you, and so Jesus showed him that where the nails went in, the holes in his hands where the nails went in. He showed him the hole in his side where the spear went in. He showed him all this to prove that it was truly him and that he had indeed raised, been raised from the dead. And, and so it says that instead of being fearful, they were now filled with joy, excited. They knew that it was really Jesus. And look at John 20, verses 21 and 22. John 20, verses 21 and 22. It says, again, 
Jesus said, peace be with you. As a father has sent me, I am sending you. That's what he said to the disciples. Peace be with you. As a father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, listen, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was at that moment that their sins were forgiven. You say, but Lance, that's when they got saved. They had spent three years with Jesus, and they still hadn't received the gift of salvation. Yes, that's true, but Jesus hadn't went, yet went to the cross to pay for their sins, meaning that they were still serving God under the old covenant. Let me pause here for a minute and just to help you understand and make sure that you understand that at the moment that you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Some people don't believe that. But it's at the moment that you place your trust and faith in Jesus, you are baptized, you're immersed into a relationship with Jesus, and you receive the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. So I want you to capture that. At salvation, you receive the person of the Holy Spirit. Hold on to that. Let me show you another passage in the Gospel of Luke telling the same story. Luke's account of the same event in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, Luke writes, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Same story, same event from Luke's perspective. Whenever you're studying the life and work of Jesus, it's good to read it in all four accounts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about the life and work of Jesus, but they do it from their background, their experiences, their differences. So Luke writes, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And here's that detail again, that same one that John mentioned, peace be with you. And then Jesus says here, as recorded by Luke, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed or filled with power from on high. Hmm. At salvation, I receive the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is talking about something yet another experience subsequent to that that is yet to come, future tense. But stay in the city until you have been clothed or filled with power from on high. The reason why I'm showing you this is for you to see that even though they had received the Holy Spirit at salvation, the immersion into Jesus, they hadn't yet been baptized or filled or immersed into the Holy Spirit, future tense, as Luke 24, 49 says. Jesus is saying, hey, you've got the Holy Spirit, but go to Jerusalem and wait until you're completely immersed in the Holy Spirit until you've been filled with power from on high. And I'll unpack that even more. In Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Luke writes, After his suffering, same story, same event, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Remember, the holes in the hands, holes in the side. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, that's your salvation experience. But in a few days, no, notice the future tense here again. You haven't received it yet. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So salvation is the first baptism. It's the first step in the spiritual journey. It's to be immersed into Jesus, to put your full trust and commitment in him and to be a part of his body, the church. Water baptism, write that down, is your second baptism. It's the second one. 
Water baptism is a separate experience from your salvation experience. You don't have to be water baptized to go to heaven. But the Bible says that you should be water baptized. Salvation is a free gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. It's by grace, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Nothing you can do to earn it. Salvation is free. Water baptism is a separate experience. Now we're going into something that you have to do. There's a little bit of work, commitment, choice to be made. Why is it separate? Because Jesus didn't want to take the other experience and get it clouded with the first experience because salvation is free. It's a gift. It's not a work. Water baptism is a public confession or profession of your faith in Christ. Okay? Salvation is a private decision that you make between you and the Lord. You make a covenant with the Lord. I'm leaving the former, my former way of life. I'm taking off my old nature and I'm putting on something new. And then, shortly after, you should make a public proclamation of that inward decision that you've made between you and God. Where you go public with a bunch of friends and say, hey, listen, for the sake of accountability, for the sake of discipleship and growing in my faith, I am a new believer now and I'm a part of God's family and I want to be immersed in to water. I want to be immersed in the water symbolizing as, as Jesus died for my sins and he was raised again into new life. I want to um, follow him in that in water baptism. And some of you need to take that next step. Some of you just did. And we celebrated that. We celebrated with you at Easter. So water baptism is a separate experience from your salvation experience. In fact, in the Bible, 27 times in the New Testament, people got saved and they were immediately baptized in water. So this is a normative experience. Let me um, illustrate it this way, just to make it simple. It's the same reason why you have a wedding ceremony and not just a wedding. There's a reason why you wear a wedding ring because it lets everybody else know I'm taken, right? I belong to someone else. And this wedding ring does not make me married to Lisa. It's just a symbol of a covenant that we made to one another. A public declaration of a private decision. So going public with your salvation is important. Let's look at the um, three baptisms together. The first one, for review, we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're baptized in the Jesus. The second one is we go public with our faith. It's a public declaration of our identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the third one is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, being immersed in the Holy Spirit. I like to think um, that at salvation, when, the Holy, when we receive the Holy Spirit, that that's the time that the Holy Spirit comes and he creates within us the character and nature of Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. That's a part of that new nature, right? Does that make sense? But then there's an immersion, a full plunge, a leap that we take in faith, Baptize, immerse in the Holy Spirit. And this has to do with power. Remember Acts 1.8, it says, and the Holy Spirit will come, on, come upon you and you will receive power. And I love that word in the Greek. It's dunamis. It's, it's a miracle working power. It's where we get our English word dynamite. So he's saying, I'm going to endue you with power. You're going to be filled with power so that you can do what? So that you can carry out my work in this world through the spiritual gifts. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 and we looked at all the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, this opens us up to the power of God because how many know that we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit? Jesus couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit. John baptized Jesus in water and when he came out 
A dove ascended upon him. Um, his father spoke from heaven and said, This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was thrust into the wilderness where he spent that time, you know, this battling enemy, and he overcame him, and then he was equipped with power to perform miracles. Jesus himself received the Holy Spirit, was immersed into the Holy Spirit. I want to share some of my own experience, my personal testimony. I think this will be one of the best ways to explain the journey is to share a little bit more about my spiritual journey. As I've stated in the past, I wasn't necessarily brought up in the church. I was brought up around the church, and the church was talked a lot about a lot. You know, it's like the old joke. It's like, what are we having for lunch Sunday after church? You know, we're going to have... We're going to fry the pastor or the people in the church. You know, I heard the church talked about, not in a good way. And so it was something I was around. It's something that my grandma and grandpa was a part of, something that my mom and dad grew up in and just had walked away from. And so they didn't take us to church, my sister and I, to church every week. I went to Juana on Wednesday nights with my cousin. I memorized scripture there. I heard the plan of salvation be shared over and over. I went to a vacation Bible school and heard it presented again when I was 11 years old, 1984. And they had you come up and then there was a separate room that you went into and I didn't want to go into a separate room and I was kind of scared of all that. And so I just sat, in the, sat there and I prayed the prayer of salvation just me and God, private decision. Could I say that my life totally changed at that moment? No. It was more like fire insurance for me. I just knew I didn't want to go to hell. But nothing really changed. My grandma had bought me a Bible, and my, that Bible was more of like a... I, just something that sat there collected dust, dust in my bedroom. Not something that, there was times that I would open it up and read it, but it just didn't make sense to me. Fast forward four or five years, and my grandma calls me up and says, hey, we're getting a new pastor. And guess what? He's younger than the one we had. And he's got two daughters that are your age. And I was like, really? And she said, we're voting on them Sunday night, and the youth are going to be hanging out in the basement while the adults are upstairs voting on the new pastor. So I went that night, talked with one of his daughters, exchanged phone numbers, went to the roller rink the, that next Friday. I was in. I'm a church-going member of Grandma's church now. She was different. The youth group there was different. I'd never seen teenagers sold out for Christ like I did then. They challenged me. They talked to me like, you can't talk like that. You can't listen to that type of music. You know, it's just, I wanted what they, what they had. We started doing things together. The, the pastor um, took us to a Christian concert. He took us to summer camp. He took us to conventions and conferences. And, and we were just really growing the Lord. He was investing in us. And um, then the church began to grow. And he, he didn't have as much time to invest in us. But we were so hungry for God that we continued to get together um, by ourselves. And, and we're just growing in the Lord. And I remember we would go to church back then. You know, you went to church Sunday morning. There was church Sunday night. There was church on Wednesday night. And if you were involved in any ministry, there was probably... Um, a committee meeting somewhere there too. So you were always in church, but it was fun. On Sunday nights, we would have an extended time of worship and we would, we would come to the front and we would pray for one another. We would pray by ourselves. And I remember in those nights that God just seemed to answer prayer. I remember this one night that I had found out that my dad had a kidney stone and he was, um, my, he was having to go in for surgery. And, and before he got into surgery, I'm like, Lord, just heal him and let him pass so that he doesn't have to go through with surgery. And I got the phone call that night um, that he didn't have to, that he passed the kidney stone. And I was just on, I was on top of the mountain, you know. God's answering my prayers. 
I remember um, just praying, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, I, I just want more from you, whatever you have. See, we're all on a spiritual journey, aren't we? We're all in different places. Even right now, we're all in different places. We all come from different backgrounds, but we're moving forward. And we, our prayer should always be, God, if you have something more for me, I want it. And so that was my prayer. The, the pastor, there was coming up water baptism, and he said, have you been baptized in water? No, what's that? And he told me, I mean, that's, you know, going public with your faith. And, and so several in the youth groups signed up to be water baptized, and we shared our testimony before the church. And 1988, I believe it was, um, stood before my church and was water baptized. About another year later, we was at a Sunday night service. And it just seems different that night. It's kind of like worship this morning. I just felt the presence of God in a special way. And I remember being up front, and we were just praying and walking around and somewhere kneeling by the pews at the front of the church. And a woman in the church came up to me, Karen, and said, Lance, would you like me to pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I was like, what's that? And she, and she explained it to me like I've explained it to you this morning. It's where you're immersed in the Holy Spirit and you receive the power. And God's got these gifts for you and he wants to use you to make a difference in the world. And I didn't have any baggage. I wasn't corrupted with any bad packaging. So I was like, yes. And we joined hands and it wasn't nothing weird. It was natural. And she said, just ask. And she shared with me that scripture says, you know, if, if, a, if a child, a son or daughter came to their father and asked him for a loaf of bread, would, would his father give him a stone instead? Even more so, I'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so she said, it's a gift that God wants to give you, but you receive it just like you receive Jesus in your life. You receive it in faith. And that evening, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I received my heavenly prayer language. And my life changed. It wasn't like my salvation experience where it was just for, you know, kind of like fire insurance to make sure I didn't go to hell. I wanted to be used by God. I had a problem with the prayer language part. It wasn't because I thought it was crazy. It was because I thought that it was something that I was making up. You know what I'm talking about? So hold that. I go to school and I say, I want to start a Bible club on campus because I heard that I, I have the right to do that. If others can have different clubs, I can have a Bible club. I'm an introvert. Growing up, I was a painful, painful introvert. My dad would say to me different times, I would run into a friend at the mall, and um, we'd be, he'd be going up one side of the escalator, and I was coming down, and, and I, we just went right by each other. Like, we're close friends, and he's like waving, and I'm just ignoring him. And my dad's like, that's your, that's your friend. You didn't even say hi to him. But something had changed. This new boldness and new confidence I had received. And I go up to my algebra teacher and I say, I want to start a Bible club, but they told me that I need to have a sponsor, a teacher sponsor. And I know you're a believer, so will you open up your homeroom period time, the time that you have to study and, and do grades and take a break? Will you, will you devote that time to allow us to come into the room and you can just, you can do what you need to do, but just let us have a Bible study? And she said, yes. First open door. Second one, the first day of um, football season, I said, Coach, can I get up and share my testimony with the team? And he said, sure. And then he shared with me that he was a pastor's son. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. I remember standing up, getting ready to give my testimony, and I was kind of shaky inside. And, and um, one of the kids said, sit down and be quiet. And another kid, Marcus, who was the captain of the football team, stood up and said, I don't know what Rates has to say, but you sit down and be quiet and let him speak. 
and I was able to give my testimony. And I remember the first game, Coach Sluter came in and said, hey, Lance, I want you to stay back as the rest of the team runs out onto the field. I want to introduce you to somebody. And he says, I want to introduce you to Coach, um, to the chap, our, our new football chaplain, Coach Newsom. And we had a, a chaplain that was on the sideline with, with the word chaplain on the back of his shirt, and he was there to pray for us. He would come to practice um, on Thursdays and just give us a motivational talk from the Bible and pray for our, our um, thing. So God had just set up this platform. We were, my friends were excited. They had had the same experience on that same Sunday night. I remember my friend Frank, he had just gotten saved, and he's like, I don't know what it means to be a Christian. So he just followed the order of the service that he saw on Sunday. He's, he opened up in prayer. He got out his guitar and he led himself in worship. And then he opened his Bible and he taught himself from the word. And then he would have an altar call <laughs> every day. He would go down on 7th Street in Rockford where the adult bookstore was and where the prostitutes would um, kind of linger on the weekends. And he would go up and down the streets and just pass out tracts and leaflets and um, invite people to receive Christ or to come to church. And he, had a, he drove an old Toyota pickup truck, and he would go down there, and he would say, jump on in. I'm going to church. Come with me. And we started seeing people giving their lives to Christ. And our youth group was only nine kids. The pastor brought us in one Sunday evening after church and said, you guys keep going out there fishing and catching them and then expecting me to clean them. He's <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with some of these people that you're bringing us. But it was awesome. There was just a freedom. I was still hung up on the prayer language part. I went to the Open Bible Church. Eastman Curtis, this evangelist, was coming. Everybody was talking about him. And I went there and I went forward and got prayed for again and spoke in my prayer language. It was just like there. Was, it was natural. And I still was like, I don't know if this is me or not. And so I put on the card that they had, like, if you have any questions about anything, check this box. And then these two guys showed up at my house the following week. And they said, you have some questions about something? I'm like, yeah, I just don't don't understand this prayer language part. I don't know if it's me or not. And it says, well, has your life changed? Have you seen the evidence of the power of God in your life? Are you making a difference? And I began to share with him all the things and the boldness and the confidence and the, all this new stuff. And they said, well, right there, just receive it and accept it. You've got it. And it just radically changed my life. I want to give you four quick things um, to write down to help you experience the same thing. Number one, to experience, to be immersed into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to remove the barriers that are in the way. Remove the barriers that are in the way. The first prerequisite is the gift of salvation. You have to be a believer. Receive the Holy Spirit. God has more for you. Number two, before I go on to number two, just let me give you this in Scripture, Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, this is on the day of Pentecost, repent. What's he saying here? Remove the barriers. Mean, repent means to change your mind, change your heart, change your direction, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, salvation. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 39. It says, for the promise is for you that day, for your children to come, and for all who are far off, that's you and I, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So this is a promise for us today. Number two, second thing that you need to do is request the gift of the Holy Spirit. Say, Father, whatever you have for me is good. You don't give your children anything repulsive or bad. The Holy Spirit is not something to run away from, but it's something to embrace. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit. I don't want normal Christianity. I don't want just an intellectual experience. 
Friends, if an intellectual experience was enough, then we would have gotten it done. We need the power of the Holy Spirit just like Jesus did. Just pray and say, Lord, if you have something for me, I'll take it. The third thing is you have to receive it. And faith is that key word there. That was the key in my story. And if I'm totally honest, I don't necessarily like that part of the equation. I'm natural, just like you. I like to control things. I want to see it. I want to understand it. I want to touch it, taste it. It's hard to receive something. It's, faith is like jumping off the cliff into the unknown. In the natural, I want to be in control. I want to understand. But that's not how God does things. Everything that God has for you, most of the time will feel like jumping off a cliff into the unknown. It's faith. I love this prophecy in the Old Testament because it describes my life, how I was when I was dealing with all this. In Ezekiel 47, verses 3 through 5, it says, A man was going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured a thousand cubits. And he led me into the spiritual experience into the water, but I was only willing to go ankle deep. And that's where a lot of people are in the church, right? They're willing to go ankle deep. They're willing to step in and get a little bit wet. You know, I don't mind being a little bit wet. I'm ankle deep. All right. My feet are still on the ground. I'm still in control. I can still maneuver. I can still get around on my own. Okay. I've, I've got my seat. I know where I'm going to place my chair on Sunday morning. I know that I'm going to go over and grab coffee, and I'm holding coffee. I'm going to feel secure with something in my hand. I'll talk to so-and-so because I've gotten to know them. This is comfortable. I'm going to leave right afterwards so I don't have to talk to anybody else. You know, I'm just ankle deep in this. I don't need a small group. I don't need to serve. My life's busy. I'm comfortable. I'm ankle deep. But verse 4 says, again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and now it was knee deep. And some of you here today are knee deep. You've accepted Christ. You're beginning to read your Bible. You're getting comfortable with the people. You've plugged into a small group, and you attend it pretty much faithfully. You might even be serving or using your gifts in some way. You're starting to lead me through the water, and now it was waist deep, but my feet are still on the ground. I feel the, the current. It's getting a little bit hard. I'm waist deep. Is they're wet, but they're still in control. Verse 5, again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And it goes on to say in that prophecy, and there and only there was the river filled with life. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Friends, the river is teeming with life. To be immersed in to God and his church, to be immersed and baptized into the Holy Spirit is to be totally covered up and surrounded and allowing the river to take you where God wants to take you. But listen, there's life there. There's freedom there. You may not be in control, but God's got you and everything that he has for you is good. There's good stuff in the middle of the river. The only problem is to get to that place, you have to lose touch with the ground. And surrender all. You have to be all in. You have to take that leap into the unknown. And this prophecy gives us a beautiful picture of what it feels like sometimes to go on this spiritual journey. But the key, the critical key is, the critical one is the first step. Salvation. You can receive Christ, die, and have your home in heaven. But God doesn't want you to miss out on that public declaration, that baptism, that endowment with power.
He's got more steps for us to take. And I invite you this morning on that journey. Hebrews 11:6. I'll close with this. And without faith, without that leap, it is impossible to please God. And the last part of that verse reads, God rewards those who seek him. God knows your heart. He knows where you're at on your spiritual journey. He knows what's left, and he's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for you to have it all on one Sunday. It's a process. I shared with you events that didn't take place. It was a process that God was leading me through. He just wants a heart that says, God, I know there's more. Help me take another step. Remove the barriers. Request the gift. Receive it by faith so that you can write this last one down. Relate to him every day. Relate to him every day. I'm going to pray this, this passage of scripture, and I'm going to pray with my eyes closed, eyes open. From 2 Corinthians 13, 14 in the message translation, I want to pray it over you, and I want you to receive it right now. Can you just bow your heads and just maybe put your hands out in front of you just to receive? The worship team's coming. I pray that you receive the amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ. The extravagant love of God. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. I pray that that would be with all of you. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed. God's looking for a relationship with you, not a religion. This isn't about religion. This isn't about do's and don'ts. This isn't about following a list of external rules. This isn't about works, trying to earn something. This is about a relationship, a close relationship, an intimate relationship. Some of you wonder why you have anxiety, and and it's a struggle, or why you deal with depression. It's because you want to have both feet on the ground. You feel like you have to be in control. It's more than words of a song. Jesus wants to take the wheel. He wants you to move over. He wants to to be in the driver's seat of your life. He wants you to experience that first baptism, that first immersion into him and his body, his church. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, that private decision between you and God. If you would say, Lance, maybe you've even prayed the prayer, but you've only been ankle deep. But you'd say, Lance, I want to be fully immersed into Jesus. I need his Holy Spirit to help me. I need his Holy Spirit to develop within me the character of Christ, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. And you want us truly surrender. You want to walk out deeper into the waters. I just invite you to, to raise your hand right now. Just signifying, symbolizing to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm all in. I'm taking this leap right now. I want to be immersed into you, Jesus. fully immersed. Friends, I know historically we have waited until Easter. The Princeton Club being closed and having a pool here to be able to baptize. But I have a feeling that that's not going to be enough. We're in summer. And I just see people coming to Christ as you are released in the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. So if we have to find a hot tub somewhere, if we have to bring in a cow trough and fill it up or go to a lake, 
if that's where you're at, if that's the barrier for you, the Lord's telling you that he wants you to make a public profession, a public, and that would break free everything. Because right now, you're like, you're, you're in, you got one foot in, but one foot out. And maybe Christ is calling you to be obedient to him and to take that second step to be baptized in water. I want you to come see one of the, um, the elders, one of the pastors, myself, and to say, I'm in, I want to be baptized on a Sunday, and we'll make arrangements for that to happen. Lastly, it's Pentecost Sunday. It all doesn't happen in one Sunday. This could be a process in your life. But I'm asking you this morning to get rid of all the, the baggage that surrounds or maybe what you've perceived the Holy Spirit to be. He's a breath of fresh air. He's one who comes alongside of. He's your comforter. He wants to lead and direct your life. He fills you with power, that miracle-working power. It's the super that joins the natural you and becomes supernatural. He brings out the gifts that God has placed within you. And he releases you to make a difference in this world. Christ wants you to be immersed in his Holy Spirit. And the evidence may be receiving a personal prayer language. The Bible says that God gives his people the ability to pray in an unknown tongue and with groanings that we don't even understand. But it's like this communication, this line of communication that when you don't know what to pray, you can just pray in faith and allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you. Don't get caught up on that. Just desire the Spirit to fill you, to immerse you, so that you can make the difference. You could have that power, and you could look back and say, man, my life has changed. I see evidence of it. I'm hunger. I'm more hungry. I'm just like, open hands. God, whatever you have for me, it's not about me. It's a gift to help others. I just want to build the kingdom of God. I want to be a witness in my Jerusalem. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. If that's you this morning, you want to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, then I want to pray for you to experience that baptism in the Holy Spirit this morning. Just raise your hand. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine. Because listen, you're always... There's just something in us that wants something that's unnatural, looking for that next high, that next something. Paul said, don't be drunk with wine. Don't fill yourself with the things of this world. The things of this world will not get the job done, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And friends, maybe you've already experienced this, but, but I love that the word there, be filled. It's a, it's a continual filling. Because how many know that we leak? We need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And Christ wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit this morning.